Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, so come visit us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Now, Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. One of the famous feuds in American history is the Hatfields and the McCoys. Family gone wrong, you could say. At the end of their feud, dozens had been killed or injured or put in jail. I did hear, though, that their ancestors got together on an actual episode of Family Feud, which does sound like it would be pretty cool to, to have seen, but I didn't actually, actually see it. This is a story of family gone wrong, and, and it's, a, it's a powerful theme, so powerful that, of course, Shakespeare could develop it in his epic tragedy love story, right? You've got the Capulets and you have the Montagues, and it, their ability to divide and keep to their, themselves had tragic results for their families. See, being part of a family, and when, when I say this, right, I'm, I'm not talking about your immediate family, right, because you've got your immediate family, you have your extended family. I'm really talking about kind of your tribe. It's the group of people that you identify with. And so this, there, you, you've got your family, your, this sort of surrogate family. You have this tribe, and, and being a part of that tribe can have a dark side. It gets ingrown without new blood. You can become so invested in your tribe that we begin to exclude fear, the outsider, and we become isolated. So tribes can actually be great insofar as they include the people who are a part of them and they kind of knit them together. That's great. But of course, they just as often, or perhaps more often, exclude people from their ranks. How many stories could be told about churches who exclude, who push people away? They judge people who are different from themselves. We have both churches and Christians who will exclude people who simply don't look like they do or who don't act like they do or maybe don't have the same politics as they do. You might differ in your theology in just a, a minor little point, and that puts you on the outs. You know, we actually do, right, we all know this. So we, all, we, we have a name for groups of people that come together and exclude others. What is it? Cliques. And even Christian cliques will protect themselves from the others. 
You know, because, well, we have something special here. You know, we have something special, and, and we don't want to ruin it. We don't want to jeopardize it by letting them in. Now, you know, rarely will a group state this, but even unstated, it's very, very real. I remember years ago, I was working at a church, and we were dealing with some things going on, and, and they had said that they have these groups that were made primarily of couples. And some of the single adults, we were trying to get them integrated into these other groups, and they just didn't know how to do it. The couples could not figure out how to integrate the single adults. They couldn't talk about things that, that, that people were interested in. They couldn't share or connect. They were like, we just, you know, we're really struggling here. Oh, for crying out loud. Are you kidding me? You have older groups of people who when a young family comes in and, and now all the chaos of a child is, is there running around, suddenly they're like, I just, I don't know what to do. I mean, it's just, it's disrupting everything. This happens all the time. The greeting time at churches can be an excruciatingly lonely time as guests quietly watch all of the, the regulars saying hello and big smiles and hugs. And they just look at that timer like, dear Lord, please let it go faster. You know, we actually, we were so aware of this for, for years. We used to talk, we don't talk about it enough anymore, but we used to talk about the 10-minute rule. We would say, listen, if you're here and you have a whole lot of folks that you know and friends and you, I know you want to catch up with them, you know, in all of these moments between the, the services and things, just practice the 10-minute rule. For 10 minutes, ignore your friends and talk to people you don't know. Because those are the awkward moments for folks when they're trying to figure out, is this a place where I can actually find a spiritual home? You know, churches will rarely admit to it. But I've seen it time and again where they spend more time trying to connect with a wealthy person or with a young family that has a lot of promise or like that, that hip-looking 20-something-year-old. I mean, these, this is, these are good people. Rather than investing in the people that, that often live on the fringes. I mean, we've actually heard of youth groups, uh, and I've heard this fairly often over the years, where they will, you know, the youth group starts to grow, and it, some good things are happening, and, and they, they start to reach out to the neighborhood kids, and they bring friends, and all of a sudden, a whole different type of kid is starting to come to the group. And, you know, those are the, those are the more troubled kids. And, I, you know, we really, we, we really got to stop letting those kids come in, because you know why? Why do, why do you think we have to stop? Because you know what they're going to say. Well, they're a bad influence. They're going to be a bad influence on our kids. Are you kidding me? We're going to exclude people who are far away because they might be a bad influence. See, the, the tribe can experience deep relationships within, but they often do it by excluding others. So a quick little review of kind of where we've been at in this series so far, in case you missed uh, one, or the, one or the other one. The goal of this whole series is to help us create authentic Christian community that is sacrificial in the way we live with each other. And we want to do that throughout the whole of the church. We want to give every single person who calls Beacon Church home an opportunity to be part of a spiritual family that is life-giving and life-changing. That's what we want. And so we started this series 
by building uh, the kind of acknowledging that building and living in genuine Christian community is hard, that it can be awkward, it can, it can be uncomfortable. But we must build it because people are increasingly isolated in our society. And we had all sorts of statistics last week about loneliness and how now it's at epidemic levels in our society. And then we looked briefly last week at how Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I am creating a new family. I am doing something brand new and I want anyone who is willing, who is interested to be a part of this new family that I am creating. So Jesus, he comes on the scene and he destroys the sin that separates us from God and from each other so that we can now be brothers and sisters in Christ. But because our families, because our tribes can be exclusionary, Jesus unfolds a far more beautiful plan for what this Christian family ought to look like. So we're going to jump back into our text from last week. Uh, we're going to, going to kind of dig in a little bit deeper uh, to see what this Christian family is supposed to look like. So open in a Bible, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be going through a few different uh, ideas and phrases that we didn't touch on last week. But while you're opening up in a Bible, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Ephesus. So that Ephesus is the city that this letter was written to by the Apostle Paul around 60 AD. And it was circulated broadly in this region of Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And uh, Ephesus was actually one of the preeminent cities between Rome and Jerusalem. And so in the Roman Empire, you've got Rome up there, you have a couple other big cities and important cities, but Ephesus really was one of the preeminent of the cities, especially at this time in history. And their chief deity in, of both Ephesus and of the surrounding area was Artemis. And uh, Artemis was exceedingly popular, worshipped in most every city, but this was her city. Ephesus uh, was her main abode. And uh, the citizens took great pride in the worship of Artemis. In fact, everyone throughout the whole of the Roman Empire would have known of the temple of Artemis because it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was spectacularly built and unbelievably impressive. Paul, if you study the book of Acts, you'll see that he actually visited Ephesus and a near riot broke out in large part because of this cult that surrounded Artemis. So the, there were silversmiths in the city and they made tons of money creating these little shrines that they would sell to pilgrims who came from all over the, the, the empire to come and visit this incredible temple of Artemis. And so then when Paul started preaching that, that you know, God isn't worshipped through idols made by human hands, that we're not supposed to, you know, he, he goes beyond these little images, it was discouraging the sale of these little Artemis shrines. And so they saw their business starting to trail off and they realized that if they didn't do something about it, that, that 
the, their whole business could go belly up. In fact, they said as much in Acts 19 to say, listen, we got to stop this guy because like, Artemis is going to be dishonored and our businesses are going to go belly up here if, if like, people start turning away and don't actually need these silver shrines that, by the way, we, the silversmiths, make. And so a, riot, a near riot broke out and they were shouting in the theater and the whole thing. And it, it's a very dramatic scene that Paul uh, did make it through, but at uh, great risk. See, the Artemis cult was very powerful. I mean, there was a promise of fertility and of personal fulfillment and long life and protection, especially during childbirth and pregnancy. And so this, this worship of Artemis was an important part of the life of an Ephesian citizen. But it was also one of the tension points between the Jews and the Gentiles. Because they, this idolatrous and often immoral worship, it was, was really uh, repulsive to the Jewish people. And in fact, to common decency for the new followers of Christ. So let's look at chap Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that's the Jews, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. So almost the entirety of the early church was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The apostles, almost everybody of note in the early church was Jewish. They called everyone who wasn't Jewish Gentile. It actually just means the nations. So if you're not Jewish here, you were one of the Gentiles. And this divide between them was serious. It's hard to even imagine, like in our day, like what kind of conflict these two groups had. So are, are there any Yankee fans here? Go ahead and raise your hands. Yankee fans, go ahead and raise your hand proudly. Mets fans, would you just cheer for them? You tell them how awesome they are and how... Right? You're like, no, I don't think. I think I'll take a pass. Let's try it the other way. Mets fans, go ahead. Are there any here? Do we have a Mets fan? All right, we have a few Mets fans. Late Yankee fans, would you just tell them they're awesome and you, right? Yeah, you're trying. You're like, uh-huh. So that's what, the, this is it. This was like what the Jew and Gen no, I'm kidding. It was way worse than anything like this. Because, of course, the, the Jew-Gentile divide was rooted in some very basic beliefs. The Gentiles were considered sinners. They were called dogs. They were outside of God's promises. Well, the, the Gentiles pursued gross types of, you know, immorality, according to the Jews. They hated it. All of the different things they did and how they ate whatever they wanted to eat and they slept with whoever they wanted to sleep with. And, and all of this kind of stuff was going on. And, of course, they found the, their lifestyle, the Jewish people found their lifestyle repugnant. But... The Jews had a special dispensation from Rome. And so let's say you were doing a collection for the temple of Artemis. The Gentiles would have to pay for that. But the Jews could take their money and send it back to their temple in Jerusalem. So now you've got that kind of a divide. And then the locals are saying, you know, we want to do our business on Saturdays. And the Jews are saying, no, we won't, we won't do that on, on a Sabbath. And they're being excluded from military service because of, of all of these other arrangements. And so there's all of this animosity that had built up between these groups. So the Jews considered, of course, the Gentiles far from God. Gentiles felt like the Jews actually were the ones rejecting the gods because of their narrow-minded, bigoted 
exclusion of everyone else's beliefs. And of course, that's how cliques start, because they dress different from me. They look different. They smell different. They talk funny. You know, they don't, they don't think so clearly. In fact, it, it seems kind of morally questionable. And, you know, actually, now I get to know them. They are morally questionable. They kind of do nasty things. They irritate me. They really start to trouble me. In fact, I'm, I'm a bit scared of what they could do to me and mine. So they really need to stay on their side of the wall. You know, it's an actually, it's, it's really a weirdly small jump from thinking that they are different from us to thinking that they are inferior to us. It's a small jump that leads us to start thinking, you know, they seem to be somehow outside of God's mercy and love. We end with us saying, you know, I don't really know that they deserve my mercy and love. These are remarkably, startlingly small jumps for us. And Jesus, he unites these hostile factions into a new family. Look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. So what is this dividing wall of hostility? You see, because of the gospel, the Ephesian Gentiles, they were now being pulled away from the temple of Artemis and away from all the ways they had known to worship. And they were being pulled into Christ. So they were receiving forgiveness and they were starting to grow in holiness. And the great temple of Artemis was no longer their spiritual home. But neither could they worship at the temple in Jerusalem. So, of course, the Jews had their own temple. It was built by Herod the Great, known throughout the kingdom for its splendor. It was built between 19 and 9 B.C. And when he built it, he enclosed the outer court with a little four or five foot wall. You can see that area inside called the Court of the Gentiles. And there's this little wall in there. And an ancient historian, Josephus, he said that along the wall were posted warning signs all along the wall at, at different intervals so that everyone in the court of the Gentiles would stay in the court of the Gentiles. So you could be in the court of the Gentiles, but you could go no further. That's at least what Josephus told us. And then we found one. We found one of the, not we like me, I'm not an archaeologist, but archaeologists in 1871 found one of those signs written in Greek and in Latin. They would post them all over this little four or five foot wall, the dividing wall of hostility. And here's, here, here's a summary of what it would say. This is, this is kind of the, the idea. It says, no foreigner is to go beyond the barrier into the temple. Whoever is caught doing so will only have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. <laughs> hey, everyone, welcome to church. Don't cross that line. <laughs> Can you imagine how friendly that is? You can walk all around the place, look up, you can see the temple. You can look at all the other people going into the holy places, into the inner court, but not you. Stay out. You're on the outside of this dividing wall of hostility. That's the wall that Jesus destroyed. 
he tears down that dividing wall. In my mind, I have this picture of him going to the temple and just taking these signs and just ripping them off of this wall. And he's saying, no more of this. No more threatening signs. Saying, instead, listen, everyone can find their home in my temple. You know, the Jews who followed Jesus, they would have been excluded from their own temple. The Christians who, who were the Gentiles in, in Ephesus, they were no longer finding a home in their temple. And Jesus comes on the scene and he goes, that's all right. There's a new temple. There is a new temple. Because he's he is destroying this dividing wall of hostility and he is inviting everyone into the inner courts. In fact, he actually does one even better. He makes them into a new temple. Look at verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So this new unified people of God from every single walk of life are now the bricks that form the new home. They're the, they, they, they form a building and they morph into this structure that ultimately becomes this temple as you read through this text. Because in this temple there is no longer a dividing wall of hostility. I mean, what's a temple? Why, do we build? Why did the Ephesians build the great temple to Artemis or the Jews have their great temple? Why? We go to temples to meet God. It's where heaven and earth, they, they, I mean, they touch, they overlap. And right in, in, that, in that, that little crease, place of the temple is where we find God's presence. And Jesus is saying, listen, God doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands. But he does dwell in a temple. Look at verse 21. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we actually, so when it says you too are being built, this isn't a singular word. We don't, we don't have a plural you in English anymore, right? We used to, we don't anymore. And so this is really y'all. That's what he's saying here. It's a plural you. He's saying y'all, meaning not, you know, or you guys, according to Trevor. Um, and so you guys, it's the plural you. And so it's not you by yourself who is going to simply be this new temple. You are a brick and joined with another brick and another brick. You become the temple. And in that temple, God promises his presence will dwell. That's how we become a temple in which God's presence dwells. See, we build walls with our lives. That's what we do. We build walls. We circle the wagons. We keep others out. We try to push them away so that we don't get hurt and so our resources aren't drained and whatever other reasons we give. But we keep the outsiders out. But we want to be on the inside, right? I mean, you remember Michael Scott. Who can't? Right? I love inside jokes. I'd love to be part of one someday. <laughs> we all go, oh, Michael, that's so sad. Because, of course, we don't, nobody wants to be on the outside of the inside joke. God's presence dwells in this new temple. His presence doesn't dwell in the walls 
we build. It dwells in the temple that is being built. We actually heard a story about this happening here at the church uh, from uh, Danny Jess Rivera. I think you'll appreciate this. Uh, last year around this time, we were expecting our second child, Isabella. Uh, we also have Sammy, who was two years old, and Priscilla, our first long-term foster placement. She was one and a half. And uh, around the same time, uh, my brother Jeff, who was not a Christian, told us that he had fallen in love and he was um, going to get married. We were really happy for him, and so we asked him and his fiance to allow us to meet with him and do some premarital counseling. They agreed to come by a couple times a month. And then Isabella arrived. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and as crazy as it can get to uh, welcome a second newborn baby, uh, we suddenly went into crisis mode. After coming home, I developed an infection and I had to be readmitted into the hospital. Um, and in order to have Isabella remain by my side, I needed another second adult to stay with me um, at all hours too. That was impossible with uh, Priscilla and Sammy at home. And so our small group and church friends really stepped it up with the hospital visits and meals. Three days after that, I came home um, and Sammy contracted the flu. And I was immediately quarantined with Isabella in our bedroom for the next nine days. Uh, with all that going on, Priscilla still needed her visits with her biological parents. Uh, Sammy needed 24-hour care, and my brother-in-law was still getting married. <laughs> um, our small group and Beacon Christian community really came together again. Uh, between babysitting, meals for weeks at a time, cleaning services, uh, playdates, shuttling our kids around, uh, we still managed to bring Jeff and his fiance in to minister to them. This brought him also around to see all of our friends and Christian family serving us. Um, he had seen them before, uh, helping us to move from home to home and to paint the different rooms, but those were all happy things. So now to see them come and to keep coming around for days at a time in service and in prayer, it really moved him to ask why, why are these people willing to do that for us? Um, and since we were ministering to him, I was able to explain to him that um, they wanted to make sure that the care was so comprehensive um, so that we could continue to meet with him. And uh, we all felt his marriage was important, that these meetings were important, and uh, talking about Christ and having this real-life example just made it so easy to show him um, the difference that Jesus makes. Uh, what's even more amazing, uh, from the day I met my wife's brother, uh, Jeff, uh, I started praying for him that he would accept Christ as his savior. Uh, but knowing who he was and how adamantly he was against it, um, I knew there was nothing that I could say to Jeff uh, to make him believe in Christ. Uh, there was nothing I could say to convince him. So my prayer for years uh, was, God, I know you can do it. I have no idea how you're going to do it, but I do believe you will do it. <laughs> And so Isabella was born on February 10th, and my brother came to Christ and was baptized at the end of March. Um, it's just so, uh, such a great thing to know that uh, he'll be with us in heaven forever. Can we just give this, this? See, it is so powerful when the Christian tribe tears down the dividing wall of hostility and invites those who are far from God into his presence. It's a powerful gift. You know, the Christian community 
exists for the community. So for you, well, your next step, it depends on where you're at. All right, if you don't have a small group of Christian friends who are becoming your spiritual family, if you don't have that at all right now, then that is your next step. We would encourage you, sign up for a small group, get involved in a, in a ministry, start to, to take your next step so that you can get the building blocks needed to start to see a genuine Christian family start to form all around your sphere. Now, if you're already in a small group, I want you to ask a hard question. Is it becoming a family? A lot of times people just show up. They go to a small group. They, they listen to a little Bible study. They do a little Bible study, and, and they, they exchange pleasantries, and then off they go to their own separate lives. There's no shared life. And listen, it's a great place to start. It isn't enough. That's not us becoming a family. The rest of the series, we're going to be kind of exploring these challenges that are associated in creating and establishing and extending and deepening Christian community. But you will need to make a commitment to go deeper, to get past the superficial. Stop talking simply about the weather and sports and actually get to the life issues that really do matter. Go deeper. Now, if you are in a small group and it is becoming a family, that this is your tribe and that you do, you, you are starting to, like Danny and Jess, you're starting to feel uh, that love and that connection and that sacrifice and that service. And that's fantastic. You are way ahead of the game. And you should never take that for granted and you should pray for your spiritual family and all that kind of stuff. But now it's time to ask, how can we extend that family so that y'all become a temple where others can experience the presence of God. How do we do that? Let's spend some time in your groups talking about and praying about that. How do you invite? How do you take the presence of God and let others experience it? Think about it. You're a mobile temple. You're a, you're a portable church. Long before we left our building and, and became a portable church, God had this idea to bring the temple to people who were far from him. So do you and your Christian friends live in such a way that people who are far from God can experience God's presence with you and find a Christian family with you? Listen, I know that it's not like many of you are determined to exclude people. I'm just wondering if we're determined to include them. Because that's what it takes you know, this, this goes way beyond simply inviting folks to your small group. I, I'm, that would be great. I think that would be a great step. But it has to do with moving the influence and the presence of God toward others. We heard a story about, you know, in youth group, you try to integrate kids. And sometimes a new kid comes and he kind of goes off, you know, to, to the side and he's having a little bit of a hard time. It's a little awkward. And, you know, you can keep inviting him in. Hey, come over here. Come do this thing. Come. But, you know, you're asking them to take the steps. But a wise group will, will move physically, emotionally, relationally to them. They'll take the presence of God to them. And I love that picture of what it's like to move 
toward those who are far from God. And this is our greatest need be, behind, you know, after food and shelter. I mean, maybe, maybe it isn't even after those. Connection. It's what the human heart craves. Connection to, each, to God and connection to each other. And this almighty architect is taking each of our individual lives, these building blocks, these bricks, and he's putting them all together into this magnificent place where others can experience his presence. And he wants you to be a part of it. He wants that privilege to rest upon you. It's an incredible gift. But it means you need to step out into it. To reorder your life in such a way to allow and encourage to let this grow. And that's what we want for each and every one of you. I'm going to ask the band to come up. They're going to lead us in the Lord's table here, the communion. But uh, as they do that, I just want to offer up a prayer that we would become more and more like this. So would you just join me as we pray? Father, uh, what we're asking for here is a softening of our hearts. It's so easy for us, Lord, to uh, get focused on our own thing and to do our own thing. And Lord, if we, have, if we are fortunate enough to find Christian family, it is very common we just leave it right there. And, and in fact, we don't want anybody to mess with it because it's so important to us and it's so valuable to us and we don't want to mess with it. And yet, Lord, it's not what we were designed for. We need the family. That was your plan. We need to be part of this Christian tribe that you've woven us into. But Lord, it has to be outwardly focused. And I'm praying that you would put it in each of our hearts to be that place where others can experience. Together, Lord, to be that place where we can experience your presence more fully and completely. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.